Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. We're going to be talking about horror culture and horror things, which could involve sensitive subjects for some, so things like uh, murder, rape, child abuse, foul language will be said. That being said, uh, if that's not your cup of tea, then maybe go check out something else, but otherwise... Welcome to the show. Uh, coming You've up in the near... Warned. Yes. <laughs> I've been warned. Sorry. Coming up in the near future, we'll be speaking with the host of the Harry Horror Show on Twitch, author Paula D. Ash. But today, we have the company of the managing editor for Wicked Horror TV and staff writer and columnist for Dread Central, Mr. Tyler Dupay. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, I know we briefly talked about this. Uh, before you get on, but um, for you know anybody who hasn't listened to what we do before, generally the theme of this is we talk about uh, your childhood, teenage years, and adolescence to try to find out what it is about horror that you love and see if that uh, leads to any interesting discussions. Uh, obviously, <clears throat> it's different for every person because every everybody's different, and hopefully the end goal is that after talking to a lot of people, if we find some interesting common themes uh, that might t- teach us something about horror fans in general, that'd be pretty cool too. And if not, then we just spend a lot of time talking to cool people. So everybody win-win. poops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a reference I was going to make and I lost it. Shit. Damn. Oh, well, and, and no, the reference wasn't shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, well, I guess before we get started, um, is there anything you want to pitch? Anything you're currently working on? Well, I am in the home stretch of co-editing a book on queer themes and horror uh, that's coming out via McFarlane Publishing. So it'd be great to get a chance to uh, shout that out. Yeah, sure. sure. What's the title? Uh, it's called, uh, now you've stumped me. No, I'm kidding, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's changed. We were going to call it the big book of queer horror, but we, uh, just recently renamed it, uh, the queer horror film guide. Okay. Well, what we can do is we'll, we'll create a bio page for you anyway, and we can link to whatever it is that you want to link to. And there, that way, if the name changes and they can't find it, they can just come check out your page, maybe link to whatever profile that we link to and find you that way. And, Find out more information. Ah, oh, thank you so much, guys. Much appreciated. Yeah. You know, normally we start by just talking about you know er- earliest memories of scary things, but since you brought up the topic of that book, um, you know, it doesn't always come up in the call, even a per- even if a person is uh, gay. But is that true for you? Is that something that speaks to you uh, in in your fandom? Yes. Shall we say? Uh, I yes, I am gay. Uh, in terms of fandom, I will be honest with you. I, I, it's not necessarily like my, my greatest sweet spot. You know, I'm a, mm-hmm. certainly a fan of Rocky horror and, you know, horror films with gay characters, but I learned a lot more about kind of the intersection as the co-editor of the, you know, the book that I've been working on for the last several years. You know, I, I un- uncovered a lot that I didn't necessarily, uh, know existed and, you know, became a little bit more perhaps of an authority on it than I once was. Yeah. It, not to brush, you know, paint with too broad a brush, not saying that that's like the only thing that were to speak to you. We've had, like I say, we've had other guests who that has come up and like you say, it's usually not the primary thing, but it may be an interesting color show. Oh, say. Certainly. 
So yeah, starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Oh gosh. Um, I, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, when I was a kid, we, uh, our main heat source was a wood burning fireplace. We had baseboard heaters, but um, we mostly used uh, a wood burning fireplace and a wood stove to heat the, the majority of our house. And uh, to get wood for the fire, you had to go out to our carport, which was like lined with a dirt floor and well, a, a, a dirt and gravel floor. And it was just dark and spooky and kind of hard to see. And you had to, you had to work your way, you kind of had to turn sideways and, and work your way between the car and the wall of the carport uh, to get to the wood pile. And uh, as a kid, that just always scared me. There was just something in the back of my mind telling me that something was lurking, waiting to grab me. Uh, mm-hmm. when I went to go get wood for the fire and, you know, nothing ever actually reached out and grabbed me. But uh, that's one of the earliest memories of, I think, being a little spooked that I can recall. Yeah, yeah, that's naturally scary. I mean, that's that sounds straight up like one of the scenes out of a horror movie where, you know, the, the one kid says, oh, I'll go get some firewood <laughs> from the garage and, and you get killed. You're absolutely. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, that sounds like something that like they they. They sent you on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there are a couple others, too. Um, under our house, we had a crawl space, you know, where all of like the, the plumbing and uh, electrical wiring and, and everything ran between the, you know, between like the floor of our home and I don't know, subfloor, whatever it's called. And um, I, I guess maybe I was kind of a weird kid, but I used to love going down there and, you know, I like hide from my parents or play hide and seek with my friends. And I just thought it was kind of magical, but at the same time it was very dank, very eerie and it, it, it mm. freaked me out, but I loved it. You know, if that makes sense. And I, I guess that's kind of the same reason we watch horror movies is because, you know, they freak us out, but we love it. We, we like the way that that makes us feel. In fact, it makes us happy. One might say, ah, mm. there you go. Show over. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just spit out my drink. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, don't be, don't be. <laughs> Great. Good talking to you. Have a good day. <laughs> when you when you brought up the crawl space, I my first thought was that you were going to say that your parents intentionally sent you there again. And I was, no, no, no. I was like, it ask, wasn't child abuse or anything. Well, the funny thing is, I was going to ask if uh, if you know, do you have a you know, like, are you claustrophobic? And then you turned a complete one eighty, and you're like, and I actually liked the time. I was like, oh. That yeah, it was fun. Unexpected. Okay, so carport, crawl space. That's actually kind of interesting because when I was a child uh, in Chicago, my grandmother used to take me to this zoo that had, it was like a, I don't want to say a fake farm because it actually was a functioning little farm. I think it had pigs and goats and and maybe even dairy they were cows but maybe they're specifically dairy cows i think and i don't i didn't remember much of it but i remember being a teenager after we had moved away from chicago and once in a blue moon i would catch this smell of something that i liked the smell and it took me many years to to realize that what i was smelling was the smell of a farm (laughs) and and but you know finally i I clicked of oh, that's what it was, but I still hadn't connected it back to the zoo, the zoo until I was dating someone and we went to Chicago, uh, actually went to Wisconsin for my sister's wedding, but we also stopped in Chicago and I took her to the zoo, you know, that I wanted to go back and relive some of my childhood. And it wasn't until we got to that part of the zoo that I had, that I had that smell and I was like, holy shit, I, 
click. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's like, wow, this childhood, you know, smells a smell. And I, it's funny, the things that lodge themselves into your brain and you don't even realize it. Oh, yeah. Smells are very powerful. I completely agree. I can still smell my elementary school. And it was, you know, I mean, it smelled like uh, paint and, and butcher paper. <laughs> say, and- if you can see my face right now. <laughs> I, I guess if that's a good thing. <laughs> Can't be. Uh, For me, it was diesel exhaust. I still love the smell of it. I don't know why. That could explain a few things. Why? It smells good. It's like fresh baked cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Carbon monoxide. Hmm. Uh, okay, so what about... Um, horror media in your childhood any particular horror media stand out to you yeah absolutely a big one is the gate with steven dorf um so good that came on uh saturday morning like you know when i was i mean i I was Mm -hmm. i was born in 81 that that movie came out i want to say like in the mid to late 80s um you know so i was the right age uh it came on in the saturday morning cartoon block oddly enough i mean it's Mm-hmm. sort of a kid's movie but i mean yeah. it's a, not really a movie necessarily marketed towards really young kids so it came on during the cartoon hour and um i you know i tuned in around the time that uh steven dorf's like the not his real parents but you know a manifestation of his parents come back uh and say you've been bad and then they turn into goo oh my god and uh-huh. I, it just, I mean, my heart was like pounding out of my chest and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I'm scared to death. <laughs> and uh, it, it just imprinted on me in the biggest way. And, uh, you know, I, we didn't have like a uh, uh, on-screen guide at that point. We didn't even have the TV guide channel when I was a kid. We- right. So you just flipped on the channel and you're like, what yeah. is this? And so, <laughs> so I was forever searching for that, like into my twenties. And then you know, I, I just, uh, as a blind buy, I bought the gate on Amazon. And I was like, oh, dude, that looked Not knowing what it yeah, was. I was like, that oh, looks incredible. Great. And then I got to that scene and I was like, lo and behold, there it is. My search is over. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's always cool. All right. So turning into goose, I, it was terrifying, but awesome at the same time. Was it just that it was unexpected or? It was it was unexpected and it felt like something that I shouldn't be watching. You know, I mean, my, my parents were pretty, you know, keen to like shield me from anything like that. So it, it was very exhilarating. Like I was, you know, that, that feeling you get when you're doing something, you know, you probably shouldn't be, but you're having a great time anyway. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Crossing a boundary. Exactly. Yeah. Any other media jump out to you from your childhood? Um, later childhood, I remember seeing April Fool's Day and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time, but I was, you know, I was probably a teenager, so it wasn't the same level of like thrill and exhilaration, you know, but definitely, uh, you know, movies that have had a profound impact on me over the years since. Okay. And, and there are certainly others. Those are just, you know, the, the next two that come to mind. Okay. If those were teenage years, I'll put those down by the teenage section. We'll come back to those uh, for childhood. Let's say, um, hmm. did you have any friends or family who were fans of uh, horror? Not in my immediate family. My parents were pretty like horror averse. They were, uh, I mean, they've, they've certainly evolved a bit since then, but they were very like fundamentalist religious, you know, basically thought that horror was of the devil. And that was, 
the the biggest part of the reason why they were always kind of trying to shield me from anything too macabre mm. you know it, it really ties into that whole satanic panic thing like they really genuinely right. kind of believed that you know if you let the dark forces in they would come into your home and take a hold of you i mean it, it was pretty uh and i suppose uh you know not to get too off topic but i suppose that's probably a big part of the reason why i love horror is because it was you know in my formative years it was kind of taboo it was something that wasn't really uh an option like it was something uh something something that was off limits mm. mm-hmm. yeah while you're going through this <laughs> I, was, I was really tempted to in- interject the and now you're gay you know? <laughs> yes yes horror made me gay <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh did you participate in halloween oh yeah definitely i did participate in halloween um you know i trick-or-treated until probably like sixth grade or something like that um grew up in kind of an idyllic neighborhood where you know i i didn't like really need parental supervision to go trick-or-treating i could just skateboard down our street in my bart simpson costume or you know uh whatever i was wearing and uh you know hit up the neighbors for candy uh and, and those were those were pretty great moments pretty great memories we often ask what a favorite costume is. The fact that you remembered that you had a Bart Simpson <laughs> costume uh, kind of leans into that one. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. Bart Simpson one year. I was a clown another year. The year that the Goonies came out, like it's kind of a strange story, but my parents dressed me up as a Goonie, not actually knowing what the Goonies were. Mm-hmm. But I, I grew up uh, about 30 minutes outside of Astoria. So it was just like, you know, it was huge buzz because it was like a hometown uh, blockbuster. And um, so they just made me a weird costume out of like paper leaves and said, our son's a Goonie. And I, <laughs> sure. I do have, I do have uh, vague memories of that. I was, I don't know, I was probably four or five, but I just remember walking around looking like a, I don't know, looking like a short, stumpy tree. <laughs> so were you Mikey or? You know, the movie wasn't out. I wasn't anything from the movie. I, I don't know. I think my right. parents just, you know, decided to make a craft project and give a name to right. it, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> Any least favorite costumes? God, I don't know. I, uh, I'm i pretty planful about that stuff, like when I'm actually the one that's picking it out. So uh, I don't know. I, I had fun with all of them. Um, and... Uh, wouldn't say that I necessarily remember any of them less fondly. You know, each year was a different adventure. When we ask that, and, and not every question is going to hit, but sometimes when we get that, it's uh, either they do have a, a least favorite for a particular reason, or it's because they had something planned and it didn't work out. Oh, you know, sure. Like this, that kind of thing. Um, did you have any really scary dreams when you were a kid? Um, God, yes. I remember, uh, I've I've kind of, you know, through like, cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness have sort of overcome it. But I I used to be just absolutely terrified of snakes, like afraid to look at them in pictures, afraid to look at them in movies, you know, just, and and it stems from um, being a young kid uh, camping at my favorite campground, sitting down on a rock and a snake just came out from underneath the rock in between my legs and, you know, just gave me a big old surprise. And, and, uh, so, yes, I used to have terrifying nightmares about snakes. You know, I'd wake up in a cold sweat. I'd be afraid to go to sleep because I, you know, thought that the snake dreams were going to come get me. And it, it, was, it was almost dehabilitating. I mean, it was, you know, it, it came in waves. Like, I, you know, I would have a, a wave of them and 
in the midst of said wave would kind of be afraid to go to sleep because I would just be so sure that, you know, I was going to have a nightmare and it became almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm sure that uh, when you got a little older and Nightmare on Elm Street came out, (laughs) that was uh, a nice tie in. Oh, certainly. And I think the Nightmare movies are among the the scariest of all because, you know, of course, Freddy can get you at your most vulnerable. You know, we have to sleep. Uh, We have to sleep. We have to eat. You know, there are a few things that we absolutely have to do. And he's one of those, you know, horror characters that that can get you when you're you're really in the one place where you should be your safest, but yet you're your most vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you could personally identify with the idea of not wanting to go to sleep and being afraid of the dreams and, you know, that part of it. Certainly. You know, certainly thinking about if you were to go to sleep and then he comes after you with snakes, like, (laughs) holy shit. Right. Right. (laughs) I think there were a couple of them where he did turn into a snake too. Yep. I think you might be right about that. Um, well, this actually kind of ties in with the next question, which is what, whether or not there was ever a time in your life when you were actually tired of terrified of something in real life. Um, that would also qualify for that too. Cause you had the actual experience in real life. Certainly. Certainly. Uh, anything else that would qualify for that question? Nothing to that level. Like snakes were definitely my, you know, kind of greatest fear, single greatest fear. And I've luckily been able to, um, you know, I I don't know that I would go like pet a snake or something, but, you know, if I were to see one crossing the street, I'd, you know, just let him, let him or her get across and, you know, go on their way. But uh, home invasions scare me pretty badly. I I think that uh, for similar reasons to, you know, Freddy Krueger coming to get you when you're at your when you are at your most vulnerable, uh, I think a home invasion is, you know, your home is your sanctuary. It's mm-hmm. your safe place. You know, it, it, it's where you go to get away from, to get away from the world. And the idea of someone coming and violating that really terrifies me. So, you know, even now before I go to bed at night, I, I check the, you know, double check the door locks and the windows just mm-hmm. because it's, you know, even though it's not likely like home invasions are not the norm, they, they don't happen constantly and you know usually burglars try to break in when you're not actually home to uh avoid a confrontation but but still just the very idea kind of chills me to my core it's like the wildlife thing they're just as afraid of you as you are of them absolutely right (laughs) complete 180 of that question the last question was there ever a time in your childhood when you felt completely calm or safe or at bliss yeah i would say so it sort of ties back to (coughs) excuse me gentlemen I would say, yeah, definitely there uh, was a time and it it ties back into one of my previous answers, which is camping at Schaefer State Park, where I had the snake come out from uh, underneath the rock. You know, that that traumatized me really badly. But at the same time, Schaefer State Park was was just this incredibly tranquil place where you could pitch your tent right by the river. You know, you'd wake up to the sound of the, you know, the river in the morning, you know, uh, get up, go waiting, uh, you know, cook something on the Coleman stove, go for a bike ride, go tubing. You know, it it was absolutely incredible. That was definitely the place where I felt kind of most meditative and probably happiest in my younger years. So it sucked that that, you know, particular event happened there, but it didn't sour my taste for returning. Mm. Good. Yeah, Yeah, that sounds awesome. Reminds me a lot of when uh, my family and I used to go to, I think it was Unicoi in North Carolina. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I miss camping. So <clears throat> there, some of our guests have reported that there was sort of like a, a dividing line between uh, when they were afraid of horror as a child versus when they were then you know, enjoying it. it. 
it sounds like this moment on the gate was at least partially on that line. Do you feel like there was a, a defined or a well-defined line for you, or were you always a fan of it? Or like, how would you describe your I, feeling about that? I've always liked to be afraid. You know, I've always liked roller coasters. I've always liked things that go bump in the night. And it's not to say that I haven't been scared of them. I certainly have, but it's like, there's something very, uh, almost kind of intoxicating about facing your fears. I think it releases an adrenaline rush and, you know, kind of gives you a sense of accomplishment. And it's like when you, you know, overcome something that you are afraid of, I, I, I think that it, it makes you want to keep that up. So I, I, I guess, uh, you know, I certainly found horror movies to be scarier as a kid, but I don't think that really deterred me. It was like, well, yeah, that's scary, but I kind of like it. And, you know, maybe if I just keep watching it, I I can push through this. And so so I, I, I guess that, you know, yes, there there was a point where they scared me and they certainly don't scare me as much now because I've, you know, I, I was on the set for the Evil Dead remake that came out in 2012 or 2013. And oh, uh, lucky. For, <laughs> yeah, it was a neat experience. And uh, for a handful of other, you know, horror movies. So I've gotten to see kind of deconstructed the way that it's put together and, um, and also, you know, analyze them for a living. So I certainly have a different relationship with them now. But I've always loved that adrenaline rush, that thrill, that being scared. Uh, also, uh, you know, if I set my mind to it, I can sit through it and it's not going to get the best of me, which brings me back to another thought about being scared in early childhood. If, if, if you want to revisit that, but I don't want to, sure. I don't want to take us off course. No, we're no. still in childhood. That fits. Okay. So when I was a kid, and this is a really good one. When I was a kid, our local fire department uh, put on a haunted house that was like, you know, the perfect size for kids. It wasn't a walkthrough. It was a crawl through. And it was like cardboard mm. boxes and crates and, you know, stuff like that. Just the perfect size for a kid to crawl through. And uh, for the first couple of years that I went to the fire hall, I would turn around and come out the same way that I went back in. And, you know, I, I was like, this is just too spicy for me. I can't do this. <laughs> and uh, probably the time I was about six or so, I think, uh, maybe seven, I don't know. I made it through for the first time. And that was such a neat feeling because it was like, it wasn't just me that would, you know, turn around and come out the way that I went. And it was kids older than me. Like, it was pretty scary. It wasn't. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it was designed to kind of terrify. And yeah. so just the moment where I kind of, I think, overcame that, pushed past my fears and, uh, you know, made the full loop because it was kind of like a U shape. You know, you went in and then went straight, then you turned a corner, then you, you know, went back in the direction that you came. Uh, so the entrance and the exit were right next to one another. Mm. And I, I, I think that was probably, you know, to, to one of your other questions was probably a pretty big turning point for me because I realized, you know, just because something scares me doesn't mean that I have to run the other way. Like, I can be brave enough to uh, endure what it is that makes me uncomfortable and exist with that feeling. And, you know, when I come out the exit, it, it feels really good knowing that, you know, knowing that I stayed the course. So I have two things I want to ask about this. First is whether or not, you know, you talked about your parents being very religious and, and fearful in some respects, but there's at least twice I think already where you've talked about facing your fears is the 
is facing your fears something that you just kind of picked up on your own? Or do you think that was like a family value that somebody instilled in you? Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. And that's a good question. I think my dad always encouraged me to face my fears. But at the same time, I think he sort of modeled like what living in fear looks like and kind of letting fear steer the ship. So I think he tried to instill that in me, perhaps in part because he historically, I think, you know, made a lot of decisions based on fear. And and I think maybe it would have been subconscious. I don't think he would have said like, oh, yeah, Tyler, I really let fear run my life. I don't want you to do that. But I think that in some ways he did, you know, he he let what he was afraid of kind of limit what he let into his periphery. And, you know, maybe subconsciously, he wanted to make sure that I didn't do that. But I also have have just always been someone that doesn't want to let anything stand in my way, whether it's, you know, career advancement, or it's getting what I value most, like I I just have a tenacity that won't let me quit. So Mm. it's perhaps a combination of, you know, maybe, uh, maybe my parents trying to kind of subconsciously steer me away from making the same mistakes that they did about missing out because of their fears. And then also perhaps just the way that I'm wired. Right. Combination of the two. This also kind of leads into the second thing that I want to talk about, which before I bring it up, I'll, I'll share something that uh, from my own life, when I was a kid, my dad had gotten married and divorced a few different times. And it's, excuse me, at one point, I went to go live with his mother, my grandmother in Chicago, and he was living in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, which is only about two hours away. So he would come down and see me on the weekends. And I remember being a kid, and when he would come there on Friday evenings, I would give him this, you know, whatever, as big a bear hug as I could. Until I think in fifth grade at one point, he actually stopped me and said, you know, like, ow, that actually hurts, you know, (laughs) calm down. And I remember up until I was in my 30s, late 20s or early 30s, I think, like, we never hugged like that again. I remember I didn't feel like at the time that it was like you know how kids have this thing where they challenge themselves um and like they have almost like high water marks in terms of how they judge themselves to be you know growing up or, or getting to be an adult like some kids will you know it's uh you know i don't want to be a baby so then you use that to get them to start potty training instead of wearing a diaper. You're like, it's, it's, it's there, but it's not fully conscious. If that, if you understand what I'm saying, I think I do. And I'm wondering if that you mentioned it being a big turning point to get through this, uh, you know, haunted house thing. And I was wondering if that, if you felt that as a conscious thing, it it, is, that was part of your, I'm a big boy now kind of thing. <laughs> I, I think so, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, there's no pride in turning around and coming out the entrance. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, I, I think it was a shameful thing for me not to get through. Like, I would go home that night and be like, God, I'm a baby. How could I not get through that haunted house? You know, I'm six years old. What's wrong with me? And, mm. uh, you know, so so certainly I think that that absolutely to answer your question. Yeah, I mean, especially after multiple attempts like that and finally overcoming it, it sounds like that would definitely be a turning point. Enough that he remembers it, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that, uh, you know, that sort of sets a certain precedent. You're like, hey, I can do this, and if I can do this, I can probably do other things that scare me and it won't kill me. Right. Jumping into teenage years then, you mentioned April Fool's Day and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Any other 
things jump out to you as important in your teenage years in terms of media? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can remember, uh, I can remember seeing, I know what you did last summer in the theater as a teenager. I was probably 16 or so. Cause I remember, uh, Isn't driving that old. What? Wow. Is it that old? Yeah. Yes. It, it's like 96, 97, 98, somewhere, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is. So, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, driving to the theater to see it. And I remember going by myself because I decided to go at the last minute and, you know, I didn't have time to uh, grab a pal to go, but I, I really wanted And you to drove see there? It. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you had to drive home after that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I remember seeing that and really connecting with it. And I, I to this day, love that movie and I and think it's a little bit underrated. I think it gets written off as just kind of cheap and silly and vastly inferior to scream which by by no means is it scream and it you know it's not on scream's level but it's also not disposable i i think that's a, a pretty terrific movie and one that I, one that i really connected with uh when i saw it and you know continued to enjoy revisiting when you say you connected with it what do you mean uh i just loved the way that it made me feel like i remember in helen's chase scene just you know being ready to like jump out of my seat you know uh just so connected with what was going on the screen, going on on screen, almost like in a hypnotic trance, you know, just like I, I couldn't look away. You know, I felt like I was Helen in that scene. I mean, it, it connected with me in a huge way, uh, uh, just the, the level of intensity. And so, yeah, I, I guess that's what I mean. Okay. So you identified with the characters very strongly. Definitely with the, the characters as well as the atmosphere and ambiance and just the execution, you know, the, the way that uh, it, it really does, you know, serve to scare its audience as one expects or perhaps hopes going into it. Well, most of us expect or hope going into a horror mm -hmm. movie. I suppose, you know, some people are expecting and hoping, you know, that it won't be that bad. But, uh, you know, for a seasoned horror fan like myself, we, we want to be scared because it doesn't happen mm -hmm. as often, uh, okay. you know, as you. Um, you know, the more that you watch and uh, uh, the older that you get and, you know, the less sensitive you become. You mentioned Helen, I think, twice by name. Is there something about that character that spoke to you? Uh, it, more specifically, it was just her chase scene I thought was great. I thought she was a likable character and I, I wish she hadn't died. Like, I would have rather that she made it to the end than the Freddie Prince Jr. character, to be honest. But um, I think it's just from her chase scene, you know, I've written about that a, a handful of times, I think, in listicles or retrospectives or something like that. So her name stands out probably more because I've I've referenced it. Mm. But uh, but yes, I, I certainly do like her. I thought she was an interesting character. I thought the fact that she failed in New York and ended, ended up back in her coastal town made her kind of relatable because who hasn't failed at something or, you know, shot, uh, shot for the stars and fell short. Right. Not me. What about you? I don't ever feel it. Anything. <laughs> You're the one. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> right. Uh, anything in real life terrify you as a teen? Hmm. Maybe not. Maybe not as a teenager, but uh, I would say, like as a preteen, I was terrified of driving over the Astoria Bridge, not like in a car as a passenger, but uh, you know, when I was gearing up to, you know, thinking like, okay, and you know, five years or in four years, I'll have my license. And, you know, the first thing I would think was, oh, my God, I'm going to have to drive over the Astoria Bridge, which is just this. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's in the Goonies, but it's it, it goes from Washington State to Oregon. 
it's like five miles long. It's one of the world's longest bridges and it goes up super, super high cause it's not a drawbridge. So it goes up really high and then it, you know, drops really low. And for whatever reason, I was just terrified that like I was going to crash and die on the bridge. I, I probably even had a few nightmares about that to be honest, but that was more like preteen, you know, like 10, 11, 12, maybe like 13 you know, by the time I got closer to actually getting my license, I think I realized it was kind of uh, an irrational fear and mm-hmm. that people drove it every day without consequence. So I probably shouldn't be so worried about it. Mm. But yeah, I don't, ah, God, I don't know. I actually, yeah, I, I probably do have a, a teenage fear. And it was probably that people would find out that I was gay at my school, you know, in my small town, my, uh, you know, high school graduating class of like 63 or 73 people, I don't remember, where everyone knew everyone's business and everyone was rampantly homophobic, racist, etc. Nah, I, 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 should, I should back that up. Not everyone, right. but many people in my hometown were rampantly homophobic, racist, etc. And, you know, anything that was different by a lot of people was viewed as not okay. And, you know, something that, that you know, we need to, to get that person into line and show them that they need to be like us. So I think that the reason it didn't come to mind immediately was because it was kind of an internalized fear, something that I didn't even really admit to myself because I hadn't even really admitted to myself, hey, I'm a gay guy. I was like in such deep denial because it was such a scary thing to think about telling my parents first and foremost, telling my grandparents, you know, telling my friends, how are people going to react? You know, in a lot of ways, I think I just kind of lived in sheer terror uh, that anyone would find out my secret. So, so that would probably be a really, really honest answer to, you know, what scared me as a teenager and into my early twenties, I didn't come out until I was, I don't know, 22 maybe. So, you know, and, and that was certainly in a time before we had modern family and gay senators and, you know, it wasn't like today's landscape. It was very different, yeah. even though it's only the course of 20 years or so, so much has changed. And, you know, I, I know that people certainly still fear coming out, but I, I think that we've had a lot of cultural shifts uh, since the time when I did. And to be fair, there were cultural shifts between, you know, like the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s in the time that I did. So that's just, you know, how progress works. Yes. But, but yeah, that was, you know, I mean, that was pretty, pretty heavy for me carrying around that secret and uh, feeling like I could never, you know, feeling on a subconscious level, like I could never truly be myself with anyone, you know, because I had this big secret that I was packing around. Right. Yeah. We're, we're close to the same ages and, you know, doing the math in my head, you basically, you were going through the, your teenage years during the, the, the big AIDS scare. So yes. Yeah. There's that too. There's that stigma of it too. I didn't even think about that aspect. I was terrified of AIDS. We had that, you know, as I'm sure you'll remember that kind of like, you know, Ryan White, like he got a blood transfusion and, you know, now he's deceased because he contracted AIDS. That's how easily you could get it. Don't have sex. You'll get AIDS and you'll die. Don't get a blood transfusion. You'll get AIDS and you'll die. I mean, it, it, it was very much like we were coming from a place where we didn't have all of the answers, all of the information, or even uh, really effective treatments that could do more than just extend your life a little bit. So, you know, it, it wasn't like anyone was trying to scare the shit out of us, but at the same time, like it was scary. I mean, you, you know, it, it was scary for a lot of reasons. So it makes sense that the education put the fear into us because it was a scary thing, but, but it also, you know, terrified an entire generation of children, like, you know, probably well into their, you know, adult years 
and yeah, I, I was actually talking to talking to a friend who's about my age recently, and you know, she basically said, you know, our parents were the generation that just tried to scare the shit out of us to keep us from doing things that we shouldn't be doing. You know, it's funny is as you're talking about this, I'm thinking to myself that it's isn't it funny how, and this isn't just that generation. It seems like every generation. It's it's easier for them to try to scare us than it is to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And and what I was thinking about when you even before you started talking about that, I was thinking about how, like with blood transfusions, instead of testing the blood, you know, because I, and I don't know if they had very good tests back then, but rather than test all blood, which you should probably be doing anyway, nah. they just said no, we won't take blood transfusions or blood donations from gay people. I think that's still the case, though. Sadly, like I don't think the Red Cross would accept my blood unless something's changed recently. Wow. But here's the thing, like my father in the 70s, he got hepatitis from a blood transfusion from a surgery he had back when he was in the service. Like they should be testing the blood anyway, regardless from, you know, who it comes from. Certainly. Look, they can't be bothered to test blood for whatever viruses or validity or confirmation that it's actually from a human being and not a pig. You know, it's just these people are busy. <laughs> right. Who's going to pay for that? <laughs> really the taxpayers and we laugh but yeah i was gonna say we laugh but that that's the that's the reality of it is that is their argument who's gonna pay for it it's easier that we just make you afraid of it yeah absolutely that's you've you really hit the nail on the head with that one i think (sighs) sadly (laughs) yeah wish wish we wouldn't wish we wish it wasn't so clear all right flip that question around uh again any time in your teenage years when you felt complete complete calm safety bliss uh yeah probably skipping school with my friend <laughs> nice excellent answer there was a rope yes. th- this ties back into fear actually there was a rope swing like if you if you drove about 20 miles outside of town there was a rope swing on the columbia river and and you climbed up this like treacherous platform that was made with like twine and like driftwood basically uh th- that was a ladder and a platform and you just sat on the top rung of the ladder, which was, I want to say probably somewhere between like 15 and 25 feet up in the air. And the rope swing was so taut that it required a little like string on the seat that you used to pull it up to the top seat of the ladder. And then you'd like work one leg over the the little wooden seat and then the other leg, and then you'd reach your arm out and kind of lean forward and then just drop and, and swing way out over the, the, like, you know, the gorge or whatever's below. I, I don't, I don't know. An incline, not the opposite of an incline, like a decline, you know, like going downhill, you'd, you'd swing way downhill and out like, you know, to where you could see the water. And it was, so, so this wasn't to jump out into water. It was just, it was to go yeah, over. Uh, yeah. And, uh, it was, it was incredibly treacherous because it was built by kids our age. You know, like it would not have passed any safety standards. I'm just listening to this whole thing. Like we're, we're still on the bliss and safety and calm question, right? This is, this is not <laughs> yeah. another terror because this would scare the shit out of me. Yeah, no, that's everything right. with heights. Yeah. So, actually yeah. my friend Christian broke his collarbone on it. So, well, yeah, this sounds like so much fun, uh, but, but it was the coolest feeling because again, it was like, you're conquering your fear that like you can't do this you shouldn't do this this isn't safe and you're just free flying like not a care in the world when you're actually on the swing like after you've gotten over you know the initial fear that you're gonna die and you didn't die it's just this incredible feeling of release and adrenaline and excitement and freedom you know just doing stuff like that like we'd we'd go to the rope swing we'd you know 
cross the river into Astoria and, you know, go eat at Burger King. And then we'd break into the, um, the city water reservoir and go swimming in there. Um, you know, just like stupid teenage mischief. But that was when I felt the freest and the calmest mm. and the safest, <sighs> in part because we were doing fun kid stuff. But I think also just because like when you're skipping school, you're getting away with something that, you know, you shouldn't be doing. And there's just a certain mm-hmm. like, I have to enjoy this moment because it's like a stolen moment. Mm. Yeah, there's that aspect of it, too. I feel like I'm, I skipped something. Friends that were fans of horror. And did you have any friends that were fans in um, in your teenage years? Uh, yeah, my friend Christian that I mentioned, uh, who broke his collarbone on the rope swing, was a horror fan and still is to this day. In fact, uh, he just texted me the other the other day and said, um, "I just rewatched the '90s Adams Family and thought of you." Mm-hmm. Then my friend Chris, who I didn't actually meet until college, so like you know later teen years, maybe nineteen, uh, is a huge horror fan and. We have, you know, remained close since, uh, you know, to this day. And uh, so both of them, I think, probably help, helped influence my, my tastes in horror a little bit. In fact, uh, my friend Christian from uh, elementary school and beyond uh, showed me Stay Tuned for the first time with John Ritter, which is not technically a horror movie, but it's about a television network in hell with you know, Satan trying to capture soul. And I mean, I just, I, I absolutely still love that movie because it's just so macabre and, and uh, uh, just a little dark and, you know, not what you would necessarily expect to be marketed to kids. But yes, yes, those are the Please two. Please tell ones. me there are 1-900 number jokes in there. Yes, uh, yeah, I, be- I believe there are. There are uh, fake commercials at the end for like Beverly Hills 90666 and, uh, you know, uh, different strokes, but it's referring to like the cardiac event kind, not. Oh. So anyway, yes, it, it's, it's all kinds of satirical silliness. Oh, the Fresh Prince of Darkness is another one. <laughs> and you said this was a this was like a horror comedy show and it was hosted by john ritter okay so yeah. it's a it's a it's like a fantasy family film i mean it's pg rated uh it okay. stars john ritter and pam dauber from mork and mindy so they've taken two sitcom icons from the seven, uh, 70s and 80s and uh put them into a 90s what i'm just going to call a horror comedy because it's kind of appropriate in fact, I did an editorial about it for Dread Central. Uh, you know, if if you're curious, mm. you know, for for kind of more of my thoughts. <laughs> oh yeah, it's Dread Central. What's that? I did see that article. Oh. <laughs> I was joking. I said plug. Oh, <laughs> indeed. Yes, I shameless shameless self promoter here, guys. It's all good. Yeah, I was also going to joke that if uh, Chris or Christian end up listening to this, <laughs> quick shout out. Hi. <laughs> hey, fellas. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean, like the um, starting to build social networks is also potentially a, a benefit. Um, it doesn't sound like it's as important to you as some of the other things, but you know, for some people, that that is the primary or a primary um, function. Definitely, and, and it is as an adult, it's become more important to me. I, I've made many many adult friends through the horror space for sure. The internet has helped with that, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Let's see. Well, jumping into adulthood. So it, let's start with media. What were what would be like the three biggest media things that have jumped out to you as being influential? Uh, media things that have jumped out as being influential. Do you mean any media like book, film, music, etc.? Right. Yeah, okay. other film or literature, whatever. 
Um, yeah, I would Cave say. Cave paintings. Sure. <laughs> I would say on the on the music front, Alkaline Trio has been really huge to me huh. because they're kind of a macabre punk band. If you're if you're familiar, or if you're not familiar, they're still a macabre punk band. Yeah. Uh, they just have kind of dark, like gloomy lyrics, and you know, one of them's a one of them's a love song about vampires, and the the last. Well, it's not really necessarily about vampires, but it's a love song with vampire references, kind of implying that you know the lovers in the song are sort of vampiric in some way. And the last line of the song is "Your coffin or mine." Mm-hmm. So, so that's a huge one. I think that's kind of influenced me. And actually, my friend Christian, who showed me "Stay Tuned," played my first Alkaline Trio record for me. And so that uh, that's definitely a big one in terms of media, like like film media. John Carpenter's Halloween and Dario Argento's uh, Suspiria, as well as Inferno, are really huge hitters for me. They're films that I can revisit over and over again, and they just take me to kind of a calm, uh, almost like meditative, comforting place where I just feel like I'm visiting with an old friend. They're soul food. Soul food, indeed. That is exactly the, the place that they kind of hold for me. In terms of books, I've, you know, I've read some horror fiction and, and I've, I've definitely enjoyed a lot of it. Like I really liked, uh, I think it was called Horror Store by Grady Hendrix, I believe is the author's name. And, and I really, uh, you know, I really love Stephen King's The Shining, you know, have, have read a lot of other King. But I, I don't know if off the top of my head, I could necessarily point to a book that, that is really like, oh, that's the one. And maybe it's just about the way that we consume books. We don't tend to revisit them the same way that we do movies. Right. Uh, or at least I don't personally. Hmm. Let's start with those three that you mentioned, Halloween, Suspiria, Inferno. You, you mentioned these were huge hitters to you. What was huge about Halloween for you? You know, it's probably about as close as one is likely to get to a perfect slasher film. And, you know, even what's not necessarily perfect about it, it influenced an entire not just generation of filmmakers, but generations, plural of filmmakers to come after it. And, and I suppose Black Christmas as well. It's, it's really unfair not to, to name that because John Carpenter himself said, you know, I pretty much just ripped off Black Christmas. <laughs> I'd never heard that. That's oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he, he really did. And uh, it, it just, uh, both of those, truthfully, I mean, Black Christmas, I really connect with in a huge way. And it's one that I never get tired of revisiting. And in a bizarre way, it puts me in the holiday spirit, you know, the annual rewatch. It is. It's a good one. You know, it's, it's a Christmas movie. It's made yeah. by the same guy as Christmas movies. So there you I go. No, isn't that? <laughs> I mean, he's done like the ultimate, you know, slasher Christmas movie and the ultimate family Christmas movie. That, Bob, that Bob, like, Bob Clark is a is a real trickster. <laughs> mm-hmm. Total opposite ends of the spectrum. Love that. Yeah. Uh, but so, I mean, I guess just the impact that it's had is part of it. Also, the the way that it makes me feel puts me in the Halloween spirit. It feels like Halloween is not really here until I've rewatched Halloween, you know? So so I guess that's that's a big part of why it's so important to me. Did you see Halloween Ends? I did, indeed. And it was a film. It was. <laughs> we will leave that at that. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween, <laughs> Halloween Kills 2 was a film. It was also a film. <laughs> we live in a society. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to ask you to dig a little deeper on Halloween. So you, you mentioned it's, it's a perfect slasher. It had this great impact on you. But describe that a little more about what, what was its specific reference to you? Well, like I said, it's comforting. 
Um, it also uh, it has the ability to still scare me after how many times of seeing it. You know, I could pretty much recite the movie from front to back, but its efficacy is not affected by that. I, yeah, that's that's sort of a strange way to say that because efficacy and affected, but I mean, it, it, it still has the same impact in spite of, you know, knowing all the plot points, you know, knowing blow for blow what's going to happen, but it still makes an impact on me every single time I watch it. And and that's a true testament, I think, to its staying power. And uh, to, but, as, but as an example, what about it is comforting to you? Sure. Um, I think it just, I mean, I already kind of said this and I don't really know how many different ways I can say it without just kind of sounding like I'm saying the same thing again and again, but it, it, it really, it is Halloween to me. It's comforting because, you know, when I watch that, I know that the Halloween season is here and um, I feel like that is, uh, you know, it, it is the indicator that the season has arrived and it, it, it's okay to, it's okay to start celebrating. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's kind of my kickoff flick. And it's tradition. Yeah. That's what it sounds like you're saying. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. I think what I'm hearing is it's very hard for you to pick apart individual moments. And again, it's maybe more of an ambiance thing. I think and you're overall. absolutely right. Cause when you said that, I'm like, Durr, I don't know, but I mean, <laughs> I, but I mean, I can't say like, Oh, it's the scene where, you know, Michael Myers is wearing the, the sheet and, you know, impersonating uh, Bob or whatever his name is. I mean, I, I, I couldn't really tell you a moment that makes it special to me. It really is kind of a package deal. That whole film you know, when it comes to Inferno or Suspiria, I could tell you something specific, but when it comes to Halloween, it it just is, you know. I, I, well, that's kind of a good segue because I was thinking about asking you about those next. <laughs> sure. So, so let's do that. What about Suspiria? Uh, well, Suspiria, I love the use of primary colors. I love uh, <laughs> all of the red, red, reds. I love that it's like a Technicolor dream, you know, and, and oddly enough, it's in the 70s, which was a cinematic time period where a lot of filmmakers were using natural lighting and everything had kind of like a sepia or like brown or yellow kind of earth tone to it you know uh, but argento. argento sort of bucked that and said no 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 <laughs> you know i'm gonna do things he did. you gotta you gotta almost went in the opposite direction like oh it's, it's supposed to be dull and realistic nah, technicolors yeah no i, I and i love I'm gonna go in the other direction and go harder yeah. <laughs> exactly and i love that 70s color palette in in films like three days of the condor for example or the french connection but i also love that argento did his own thing and and the colors are you know, almost like a character of their own and that they're such a big part of what makes the movie. It's certainly not the plot. I mean, the plot is a little bit threadbare and there's lots of stretches and gaps in logic and why the hell are they doing this? But none of that matters because it's an experience. It's, it's intoxicating. It's sucking you in. And, and it's, it's just wild. Like I, I, I love his appreciation for secret passageways. I think he loves secret passageways every bit as much as I do. And uh, that just makes a film better, you know, with like the, the completely still water in the scene where Jessica Harper and um, I think I want to say it's Daria Nicolodi, but I could be I could be wrong, are in the pool, you know, just almost completely motionless, not even splashing. It's just completely still. It, it's just a beautiful scene to look at. And uh, almost every scene in that movie is, is beautiful to look at. Honestly, the stained glass, the, the set design of the school for girls, like everything about it. It's just like a visual treat. It's like candy for your eyes. It's interesting because 
everything that you just described is being it's a visual thing but the bottom line of it is these were all things that affected your experience of the movie which is kind of the same thing as it was with halloween it's just with halloween you you couldn't point a finger to specific elements yeah which is not a bad thing i'm just making an observation certainly what about uh inferno Oh, I love Inferno. I love Inferno every bit as much as Suspiria. And I think it's genuinely underrated. Um, you know, some of it is just personal preference because it's full of secret passageways and, you know, twists and turns and and uh, misdirection and that absolutely positively gorgeous uh, underwater cinematography with the, you know, the woman that you initially think is going to be the film's heroine. Um, you know, she drops her, her keychain in the room and you know, well, I don't remember if, if she goes in for a keychain or if she goes in for another reason, but she goes into the underground, you know, basement flooded room, which is just such a unique, unexpected, out of the box, weird thing that you just don't see. But that's the true brilliance, I think, of Dario Argento is that he does stuff that no one else would do. He has crazy, weird ideas that don't really make any sense on paper, but then he executes them in a way that it's just striking and stunning and intoxicating. I can't stop looking at it. And like the other two that I mentioned, I can just watch it over and over again and never tire of it. It it just always makes me feel the same way, which is, is, is like I'm visiting with an old friend. Like it's just comfort. It's soothing. To me, it's, it's pretty much perfect. I wanted to ask you about skydiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the whole facing your fears thing, I figured, you know, we'd wait for this until we get to the adult years. Have, have you done any skydiving? I haven't, but I've always wanted to do either that or bungee jumping. Um, I'm a little like leery on bungee jumping because my husband did it when he was in the army and said that you can feel your mm-hmm. organs shift. And that, <laughs> and that kind of made me think twice about it. But I, I think skydiving, you probably wouldn't feel your organs shift. And now that you do it with a tandem instructor, like, you know, strap depends on whether or not you're shitting yourself, I guess. Yeah. My, my dad, believe it or not, actually did skydiving in like, I don't know, maybe the sixties or seventies. And uh, you went solo. And he said the only reason that he jumped was because the guy screamed so loud that he like literally <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and it, it's so that's, strange. Um, that's one way to get him out of the plane. It's so strange that he did it at all, though, because it's so not him. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is very much a me thing. It's very much something that I think I would find joy from. I'd find joy in facing my fears, find joy in doing something that most people haven't done. And just the rush that you get from that and knowing that I made it out alive unless I didn't. In which case it wouldn't matter. Exactly, right? <laughs> uh, Halloween as an adult. Favorite costume? Oh. Have you have you dressed up? Yeah, I dressed up as Freddy Krueger one year. Um, Ooh, and cool. I uh, that would probably be my favorite. I went to Chipotle and was waiting in mm. line because, you know, they had a, a free burrito for people in costume. And I... Okay like moved the index razor blade and uh, closed all the other ones and was kind of waving at the, you know, burrito artist with that. And she jumped <laughs> back like against the counter behind her and just, you know, I, I felt terrible because I, <laughs> I didn't mean, to, I didn't mean to be that scary, but I, <laughs> I absolutely scared the living shit out of her. Like, Oh my God. I'm sorry. Are you okay? That's- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Would you be more comfortable if I took the mask off? Or yeah, right. I'm just thinking, laughing to myself, thinking about you tapping the glass. Oh, okay, I want this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think she was a horror fan, sadly. <laughs> <sighs> Least favorite costume as an adult? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I can't really think of any. I don't dress up that much as an adult. I have a few times. But nothing really stands out. Oh, yeah, I think one year uh, I was kind of lazy and just bought a couple masks from The Purge, like just plastic masks from The Purge, and then Mm. wore regular clothes with it. So that would just be (laughs) least favorite because it was least imaginative and least effort put into it. Right. Mm. Are Purge masks the current Ben Cooper mask? Oh, I I (laughs) good question. Hmm. The cheapo plastic well, that or, right? That or right. Um, what's his name um, from Scream? Oh, yeah, Ghostface. Yeah. No, nah, no, because because Ben Cooper masks had variety. There's only one. Yeah, but it's still. Uh, There's a couple iterations of it. I think if you count the TV series, there are. I just saw. I just heard about that yesterday, and they uh, they changed the mask. That's it, why no one heard about I this was show. Kind of going with it just being the common denominator, like it's easy. You just put that on and some clothes, and you're done. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. My uh, one of my friends actually from high school. She and her husband and uh, their young child, who's about two, all dressed up as horror characters. She was Ghostface, but not just the mask, like the whole you know uh, poncho deal, like the black poncho type thing and mm-hmm. you know like the knife and i mean she she went all out and then yeah. her husband was jason and their kid was chucky she sent me some pictures <laughs> of it that's great and i said oh my god that's you know basically like a viral meme waiting to happen and she's like i know but my husband doesn't really want me to you know put pictures of our kiddo on the internet and i'm like well that's fair mm-hmm. there is you know, that yeah that's, maybe when that's he's a little argument. maybe when he's a little older you know you've got like internet gold with you there yeah. right well, the other argument you could make is, well, he's in the costume. That That is a very fair point, and, and maybe he will come around to see that. Yeah. Right. So the next two questions I'm going to ask you are going to be over your entire life, not just one section. And it's not also not just about horror, so these could be non-horror answers. But I'm going to give you the two questions at the same time, because it could be the same answer for both or two different answers. But uh, first question would be, what is your favorite movie? And then the second one is, what? What movie have you watched more times than any other? Certainly. My favorite movie is Three Days of the Condor with Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway. It's from the late 70s, and it's kind of like an espionage film from a time before Jason Bourne and Marvel movies. And, you know, everything was like an, an event with explosions and jumping out of buildings and, you know, driving cars out of a parking garage, like into another parking garage on the other side of the street. All of that is great, and I I really enjoy it sometimes, but I also, more than that, enjoy a good character-driven thriller that doesn't necessarily rely on what I would say can sometimes border on gimmickry. Mm. It's just a a pretty perfect film, and it came out at a time where um, there was so much paranoia about... um, the government and authority. And, and it really kind of leans into that in a big way uh, and deals with government corruption and um, just a great performance from Robert Redford and uh, a great, uh, slightly more restrained performance from Faye Dunaway than we saw in, you know, mommy tourist or Supergirl, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other question movie I've watched the most times, there are a few, I'll try to narrow it down as much as I can. One of them would be rad. The BMS. <laughs> really? I own that on VHS bootleg yep. DVD since it never actually got a real DVD release. 
Yeah. And then Vinegar Syndrome Special Edition and also Steelbook. They did Fortnite. release it recently. You have the Steelbook of Red. <laughs> I, I do. Oh I do. Um, so, so Rad, uh, possibly, uh, the other one, the other contender would be Cloak and Dagger. Uh, it was written by Tom Holland and oh, yeah. directed by Richard Franklin, who did Psycho 2. I absolutely love that movie. I love the fact that they're not afraid to put a child in peril. You know, one of the terrorists tells uh, Henry Thomas, I could turn you into shredded meat in about two seconds, but I'm not going to. I'm going to shoot you in the stomach and watch you bleed to death. Like, it's a kid's movie. That just, gave yeah. me, that just gave me life as a kid. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> that is so scary. And I love it. Yeah, I remember seeing Cloak and Dagger when I was like, I don't know, seven? Yeah. It's, it's dark. It's dark. Yeah, I think it was marketed as a kid's movie, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, and it's it's rated PG. I mean, and, and it was marketed <laughs> to kids, absolutely. But I freaking love that movie. It, it doesn't, you know, talk down to its audience. And it. I think it fills, you know, what is currently a void. Like, we don't do that in movies anymore. But it's like it gives kids a movie that says, like, hey, we hear you, we see you, we take you seriously, and you could die too. Mm. <laughs> you could die too, you die too yeah. <laughs> and i just think, i think we need that sometimes i mean yes it's a little you know it's a little taboo but i don't know i mean if i had a kid that was the right age i would absolutely show them that movie based on you know their like you know i wouldn't show it to a kid that it was going to scare to death but if i had a kid that was like me as a kid, I would be like, let's watch that together, kid. This is a fun movie. <laughs> you need to know where your boundaries are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can die too. <laughs> <laughs> what about Rad? Uh, yeah. I, uh, I love that particular template. Like it follows the same template as the Sarah Jessica Parker movie. Girls just want to have fun which my cousin forced me to watch as a kid and I ended up secretly loving it, but not wanting to admit it because it was a quote unquote girl movie. But it's that whole template of, I wish I could be a insert here. And then you've got the the parental figure that's like, you can't be that. And then you've got the best friend that's supporting you, but isn't as good as you at what you're doing and is somehow eliminated from the competition. And then you go on to win the competition as crew did in rad. And as, um, sorry, Jessica Parker's character, Janie did in, uh, girls just want to have fun. It's just, you know, I think as a kid, it's so fun to see other kids like doing crazy big things and winning contests and making headlines and, you know, proving that they can. I just, I think I've always found that so inspiring. And even as adult and as an adult, I still kind of find it inspiring because it's like, just reminds me to shoot for the stars and, you know, you don't always nail it, but you're never going to nail it if you don't try. Right. And, uh, you know, I've just always been someone that just goes for it. I started as a, my, my journalism career began 11 or 12 years ago when I just started a blog because I wanted to write about movies. And, you know, I was able to leave my nine to five behind and do it full time, which not a lot of people get to do that. And the only reason I got to is because I just kept trying and, and wouldn't take no for an answer. And, you know, even when I, you know, was basically living off of ramen and not really making a viable living doing it, I just kept doing it and, you know, took on side hustles and, you know, whatever I could to get by. But, you know, these days I, primarily, you know, 95% of my income comes from, uh, from writing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to, to, to be in that place. And, 
I, I think it's because I had the same like foolish idea that I could do something just like the people in those movies do. Mm. The two themes that I, I hear coming up again and again in this call are kind of flip sides of the same coin. One is either, you know, violating a boundary uh, in a negative sense or violating a boundary in the sense of overcoming uh, or conquering something. I love to violate. <laughs> Hopefully in a good sense. <laughs> oh, certainly in a good sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the violating the rules. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. The, uh, with, with consent. <laughs> oh, the, only ever with consent. Believe me. The, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the flip side of the coin of the, uh, you know, the, there's a, the good and the bad uh, aspects of the same thing sort of. A concept so that but that explains so rad and cloak and dagger but then i'm looking back at three days of the condor and i'm wondering if that one's more of um being a fan of it as an auteur because this has come up in some of our previous calls too where particularly when you're talking to somebody who's in the business shall we say you there are things that we love because they're really well done from the auteur perspective uh but they may not hit the same notes as like, for example, the rad and cloak and dagger do because of your going back to your historical stuff. Does that make sense? Or, or is there something about three days of the condor that's hitting something that we've missed? I, you know what I love about it. I I love, I, I know I said, I love the, you know, technicolor dream of Suspiria, but I also love those kind of gritty earth tones that you see in 70s cinema. Um, I love, like I said before, that it's character driven, that it's not, that it's not an event film that relies on explosions that, you know, the, the intensity just comes from Robert Redford being in constant peril from, you know, about 10 minutes into the movie all the way through to the end. And even the ending is a little bit like, well, is he really going to be okay? I don't know. I love the way that it makes me feel paranoid and tense and like excited and, and gripped uh, by what's going on. It's just, it's so engaging and engrossing. And so, so I, I, I guess I love it, you know, not because it makes me feel like I can go out and conquer the world, but, but just because it's, it's so harrowing and so all engrossing that, you know, it just pulls me in and, you know, just, just for an intense nonstop thrill ride gives me the same kind of feeling that a horror movie does. Like just, just makes me feel a little bit unsafe in a safe way. Right. Well, the thought that, came to me while you were saying those things, particularly when you said harrowing and constant peril. I mean, it's basically that's the threat of violation. Yeah. It's, it's the threat. Certainly. Certainly. You know, it, it, it gets you in a safe way, all kind of ramped up and, and, and feeling tense and, and like, you know, there's danger lurking around every corner. Hmm. It, do you see any common threads about what kinds of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical? I love a cult horror uh, and that's probably because it was, you know, like the most off limits when I was growing up, um, you know, but I love the cheesy stuff like Satan's school for girls or uh, daughters of Satan, the devil's reign, you know, stuff that's not necessarily incredible in the conventional sense, but it just has great atmosphere, or great themes. Uh, I love the devil rides out. And that one's kind of terrifying for me to watch because it's got a scene with two rattlesnakes trapped in an RV. But uh, but yeah, I I love occult horror. I love slashers. I love home invasion horror. And I suppose, you know, uh, some of that just has to do with like what terrifies me the most. I mean, you know, The Strangers is 
one of the most plausible setups for a horror movie that I can think of. Certainly a lot more plausible than a Michael Myers situation, perhaps. So it feels more grounded in reality and that makes it scarier. Well, when you said a cult, you know, being a, a subgenre that you like, you know, because it's off limits when you're a kid, that's that's true for that subgenre, but I'm still I personally am still coming back to not a subgenre thing, but a common element of all of this is that threat of danger, the threat of the violation of the or the thrill of these boundaries. And I guess some of the last questions here then start digging into things like, do you have any idea why it is that you like that? I think it's the same reason that I, you know, like to go on roller coasters or like to, you know, go through the haunted house. It's it's like uh, a part of it is maybe that you're kind of challenging yourself to, you know, endure something that isn't entirely comfortable, you know, and when you come out the other end, there's a, a sense of relief and a sense of satisfaction. You know, I, I think that's one piece of it. And I think that I just genuinely like the feeling of being scared. I like anything that can scare me. So the scarier it is, chances are the more that I'm going to like it. I, I think you're, you know, releasing adrenaline and endorphins when you're scared. You're, you know, your body chemically changes. And I like the way that that feels like it gives me a huge freaking rush. Mm. So, you know, okay. the, the more it scares me, the better, I guess, would, would, would be one piece to that. <laughs> yeah. That kind of answers the next question, which is to say, once we've narrowed in on what it is that you enjoy, in this case, thrill and challenge and things like that, excitement, uh, why horror? Because couldn't there be other genres that uh, touch on those same things? But like you say, the scarier it is, the the more exciting it is for you. Like the other genres maybe don't really touch on fear the same way. It's not as right. scary to you. Right. But uh, something like Three Days of the Condor, for example, really ramps up the tension. And it's a similar sensation and it's a similar chemical reaction mm -hmm. in my experience well it's not necessarily a, a horror it's more of a suspense i guess yeah it certainly is not a horror movie in any way it's very much a suspense espionage thriller yeah. uh, but it just has that constant threat of peril yeah do you find yourself liking other genres that touch on that tension uh, equally as much as horror or? Absolutely. I, horror is one of my favorite genres, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's my favorite. You know, it might be in, in like a three-way tie for my favorite, but it's not like my only sweet spot. I I'm curious love, what the other two are then. Uh, I love a good thriller, any kind of twisty mystery, psychological thriller, um, suspense. If I, I think I already said suspense, but a suspense movie. You know, anything that just kind of gets my blood pumping. I love it. I love that sensation. It's uh, it's comforting to me. It's exciting. And uh, it provides a sense of escapism because it pulls you into the proceedings like you're a part of it. But once again, in a safe way, like you, you're a spectator, but you're also right there in the thick of it. Right. Kind of reminds me of you crawling through your crawl space when you were a kid. <laughs> yes. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You guys, uh, you guys do a good job bringing this full circle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, I mean, you're the one giving it to us. You know, we, we're just pointing it back to you. <laughs> no, I, I get that. But at the same time, I mean, your questions are very uh, strategically structured to allow me to take you back there. So it, right. it's impressive is what I mean. Thank you. They were designed in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trade secrets. I said too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to kill you now. Uh, you, you can die too. Um, 
be a good tagline for a podcast, I think. Yeah, you could die too. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Last question. Is there anything that you've thought of that might be relevant but hasn't come up on the call? Maybe something that you thought of at one point and then the conversation drifted and you didn't get a chance to say? God, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think we did a pretty good job of uh, encapsulating it all. I really can't think of anything. Do you guys have any any other questions for me that you can think of? Anything you'd like me to you know extrapolate or expand upon? But uh, on my end, I'm good. I'm good, Chris. Yeah. yeah. I was. I thought there would be some strange question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've I've chicaneried enough this call. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had who was it rk kadic oh he says i'm an open book you can talk about oh, anything yeah. and chris is like did you kill it jfk it's <laughs> <laughs> a fair question he opened himself up to that yes yeah exactly well thank you very much for your time we uh we've had a great pleasure talking to you oh uh, well i've had a great pleasure talking to you guys as well yeah yeah and thank you to anybody out there listening if you like what we're doing come hit us up on horrormixeshappy.com uh you can buy merch we've got patreon buy some coffee or if you want just tell a friend <laughs>